filling up the chat rooms. How are we doing? How are we doing? It's great to see you guys. It's great to hear from you guys. It's been a hiatus. We've been gone from the doing the Wise Guy Live podcast, but we are back with an absolute bang. Uh, I have a very, very special guest today. His name is Robert Croak, and he has an incredible story of the true journey of an entrepreneur and what it means to create a product, um, go through the life cycle of products, and continue to, to um, you know, just persevere as an entrepreneur. So uh, without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to Robert Croak. He is the founder um, and CEO of Silly Bands. I know that all my, uh, all my 20-somethings out there remember um, <laughs> Silly Bands, and they are back. Um, they're making a comeback as well. And so, Robert, thank you so much for being here and for having us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me as well. Robert, I want to just start from the beginning. So before we get into business and, you know, all of the amazing products that people know and love you for, um, take, us, take us back to Toledo, Ohio, uh, you know, the land of the Toledo Rockets, and tell me about your childhood and early jobs and, and early ventures. Sure. Yeah, I started out, I came from a poor family. Um, in East Toledo in, in Ohio. And uh, yeah, I had a pretty untypical route. My father left when I was six. My mom kind of dumped and left when I was like 10. And so I was left in the hands of my two half brothers who were both drug addicts. And so I kind of fought my way through high school and into college and was kind of on my own. And lucky, luckily, I was very smart, very athletic. So I got a, a baseball scholarship and was able to actually be the first person in my family to go to college and graduate. Um, and then through that and through my young life, I just always had the entrepreneurial bug. Um, and when I first got out of college, I actually started with my one and only job. I took a finance job um, working for a car dealership, a family of car dealerships, where I did what's called F&I. And I would be the guy that closes the people after they've said yes and did their financing for the vehicles. I did that. And then I also went on to go take my Series 7 license and um, to be a stock trader. And all of that lasted a total of about two years. And then I just realized I wasn't cut out to listen to someone else and have a job. And so, yeah, it was kind of a very short lived for me. And I had an opportunity when I was 22, uh, my grandmother had passed away and we had a family bar and restaurant that was in our family for at that time, 50 years. And I bought it out of probate, borrowed the money, renovated the restaurant and the bar and never looked back. And so from the time I was 22 or 23 was when I first ventured out onto my own with that first restaurant. And then from there, it really was about real estate early on for me. Um, I opened more restaurants, bought apartment buildings and really started down the, the, the route of real estate and restaurants. Um, and then later on when I was in my thirties is when I really started to dig into developing products. So that's kind of how, how it all started for me. That's amazing. So you've done something that's, that's I mean, truly incredible which nobody else here, I can assure you, can say that they've done. You created the most popular bracelet in the history of popular bracelets. Tell us about the journey of Silly Bands and how you were able to scale a small business to a $100 million company. Yeah, um, that's a great question. So yeah, I started actually with a crazier story and that is the Livestrong bracelets, which were back in like 2003 when Livestrong bracelets first came out. Oh, I remember those. Those yeah, were at the, They so sold those was, at the Nike store. 
Yeah, so it was crazy. So a girl that I never met that was probably a minimum wage worker at, at, at the Livestrong Foundation changed my life forever. I was just getting into product development. And mind you, if you go back to 2003, 2004, when everything really started to go well for me, um, there was no Shopify, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, TikTok. So when you wanted to build a website with a back end to sell a product, it was 15 or 20,000 bucks. And so going back to that, let's go pre-silly bands by about eight years, I was wearing my Livestrong bracelet and I was running triathlons at the time. And every night when I'd be at a bar or a restaurant, people would be like, yo, where'd you get that bracelet? Yo, where'd you get that bracelet? And Livestrong bracelets, if you remember the story, they were sold out worldwide. So I was like, man, I gotta believe other organizations are gonna want these bracelets. There's no way the Livestrong bracelets as popular as they are sold out worldwide other people aren't gonna want them. So I just cold called the Livestrong Foundation, literally looked it up on their website, cold called them. I got this girl on the phone and she was like, oh my God, I told her what I wanted to do. And she goes, that would be amazing. We get at least a hundred calls a month from other organizations asking us to make bracelets for them. And we don't do that. We're, we're, a, we're a charity, we're a foundation. So this girl who I never met, don't remember her name, none of that, gave me their factory information in China on a phone call within five minutes and told me, reach out to them. They can make them for you to, to make for other companies. Three days later, I, I launched customsiliconebracelets.com. And within like 40 days, we already had $800,000 in sales. And that was, that was the project that really, really catapulted me from just being a local inventor guy that was toying around with different products into the next level because that website at that time ended up doing like four or $5 million a year in sales. So Get that them. really got us the, the stronghold in the silicone market and understanding how to import and manufacture and do everything for retail and for e-commerce. And so then when Silly Bands came around, that was like 2009, right when we launched with the big years being 2010, 11, and then dying off a little bit in 2012, then we already had kind of the framework, but obviously we weren't prepared for what happened with Silly Bands. You know, everyone thought Silly Bands was an overnight sensation. And actually it, it sat on the shelves. We created four packs that kind of sat on the shelves. We were selling maybe 50 units a week online. And then I remember vividly the first store that called us and was like, hey, we're hearing about the Silly Bands product what's your minimum order quantity? And I was like 50 units. They're like, all right, we'll take 50 units for four stores and see how it goes. So we actually drove it to the four stores because we were so excited to get them into the stores because it was regionally. They sold out in one day and then they reordered the next day and then it just kind of took off from there. And I remember we were in my, at the current time, my office and warehouse and we had about mm, 15 employees for all of my businesses for the, in the office part for the real estate and the restaurants and the bars. And that doesn't include the bar and restaurant staff. And it started going so crazy. We went from 15 employees in the office to 300 employees in the course of like four months. And we literally had to go buy up extra buildings to try and meet capacity. And it was so crazy because there was a beautiful warehouse right behind our office. I went over and I met with the people that I'd known my whole life. And I was like, hey, can I rent half your warehouse? I need it like tomorrow. And they were like, yeah. So I drew up all the paperwork, paid my lawyer, got everything going. 
And um, then they said, nah, we're not really interested. We don't want to mess around with having other people in the warehouse. And I knew they were in financial trouble. So I looked it up um, at the taxation department who owned the building. I called the guy and he's like, actually, they're six months behind in rent. And he goes, so I would love to sell it and you can do what you want with it. So literally three days later, I did a cash deal and bought the whole building and pushed them out basically. And we had then this giant warehouse right at our access. And it went pretty quickly in 2009 and into 2010. And then I remember we started getting to a point where we were doing a million dollars a day in sales. And at that wow. point, we had over 3000 employees um, both in-house in China and across the country as sales reps, all working on silly bands every day. And then we ended up to doing something like 250 million wholesale and over a billion dollars in retail sales during that two and a half year span. So wow. it was definitely, you know, when people say, how did you scale? <laughs> I can say I had it all figured out, but I didn't because when you're scaling that fast, you just can't, you can't get it all. You literally, right. no matter how fast you hire, no matter how quickly you learn the, all the different things you need to learn about that particular product and the scale issues, you're still leaving a lot of money on the table because, you know, now I'm known as an expert for other brands to help them scale. And I still learn new stuff every day because there's always going to be new challenges. You know, this past year, the challenges were COVID. And there were shipping issues from China because of so many restrictions between the Chinese and American government. And these are all things that young entrepreneurs don't hear about right. on TikTok or Instagram when all these, um, all these expert guru fake wannabe dudes are out there trying to sell a package of how easy it drop shipping is or how easy it is to white label or do your own product. They don't tell you all the pitfalls because then they can't sell you their package. So yeah, it's, uh, it's still a learning curve every day but at least now I've been through all the ups and downs to know what it takes to really scale a product. Because when you do have a hit product, it is lightning in a bottle. And if you don't scale quickly, you lose the opportunity because we also live in a market where there are so many copycat companies out there that you can have a great product, get it out to retail, get it on Amazon, get it on e-commerce and be killing it. And two months later, there's 15 other people knocking you off. So it's a very difficult time to protect your IP in the product world. Right. There is so much that I want to unpack there. It's, I mean, it's like insane because what you're talking about is you're highlighting two or three years worth of just I, like, did you sleep at all? <laughs> did you ever? No, that, that's the funny <laughs> thing. I, I literally, so my warehouse or my office at the time was three levels, three stories. And so because I never had the opportunity to go home, um, during this period, we ended up, I took my manager, my girlfriend at the time, and my other manager, and I took my construction company crew, and I said, cancel all jobs, turn the upstairs into an apartment, you've got four days. So they literally plumbed it, built a bathroom, built a closet, no bedrooms, got it up and running, got it painted, got the floors painted, and we all moved in uh, in air mattresses until we could get everything dialed in because we were, every morning when we got there, because it was so much chaos around the brand, we would have 30 to 50 semis waiting outside the buildings with guys with cash and checks in their hand for retailers who already placed orders, 
but were just trying to get anything they could on a daily basis and literally have their drivers driving back and forth across the country because they didn't want to wait for their actual delivery to get there. Wow. So it became this big barter system every day outside our warehouse while we were processing thousands of orders a day. Um, so yeah, we didn't really sleep. We would work like seven to 10, eat pizza, drink a few beers, play video games or watch a movie, go to bed and do it again. And that happened. That went on for about 20 months. Unreal. So yeah. I, I want to open up this chapter a little bit because we have a lot of entrepreneurs here that are, that are trying to figure out where they fit in, um, you know, in the entrepreneur world. And so these days it's become the thing to be a drop shipper. It's become the thing to do everything online. But what you did was you built an actual product. And so I kind of want to go to that idea and how you were able to, I know that you said that you had already been working on this, on the Livestrong bands, but how did you get this idea? And did you know that it was going to have, I mean, obviously not this kind of success, but did you know it was going to have some kind of success? No, you really don't know. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, the kind of joke of it is for guys like me is you kind of throw a lot of stuff at the wall and you test a lot of products and you see what sticks. Now, nowadays, it's kind of a double-edged sword for young entrepreneurs because you have all the tools and all the things that I didn't have to be able to test quickly and get the metrics and the economics of everything down in days versus months or even years because there's so many tools. But also the flip side and the bad side of that is because there's so many people that believe they're experts and that have dove into the market of drop shipping and um, you know, white labeling and all of that stuff, it's such a flooded market that the margins and profits are just so incredibly low. I just get so frustrated when I see a new guy on TikTok every day that's out there. He's been in business for three months and he thinks he's an expert and he's selling people this $99 package because it's very hard to make money consistently in drop shipping um, at all just because it's a flooded market. And unless you have a unique product that you actually created, even white labeling a product where there's 15 other people selling the, the same product is generally going to be a losing proposition and you're just not going to make money from it. And that's super interesting. So you build this product and the number one thing that I would be worried about, and I'm, I'm sure that you were worried about as well is, you know, holy crap, look how fast we're blowing up. Who's going to copy us? And can we combat that? Is there anything we can do? Can we sue? What is that process like when you're blowing up at that rate, worried about, you know, your business being ruined by a, you know, Chinese knockoff? Yeah, great question. And let's do both sides of this. Let's do then, let's call it 2010 and let's do 2020. In 2010, what we did is for every shape we did, we did not just take a shape from Google and then make it in the outline that we needed for the size for a silly band and then make it. We took every shape. If somebody said you need a lizard or you need a stiletto shoe, you need an umbrella. And we hand drew every one to make sure that it was unique enough that we could put a, a design patent on each one because a design patent is a lot easier and quicker than a, than a utility patent. So we put that design patent on every shape, knowing that for $300 a shape, it would be worth it in the long run when people started knocking us off. So we literally did not fight any of the knockoffs during the height of silly bands because we wanted to make sure we captured as much money in as much of the market as we could. And we didn't want to get sidetracked by fighting all the knockoffs during the rush. So what we did is when, when silly bands died off, 
we still had plenty of time to go back and file those lawsuits. And what it does is it gives us more ammunition because then they have a longer length of sales and more sales the knockoffs do while they're infringing on our patent, on our trademarks and our patent shapes. And so that was then. Now let's talk about 2020. It's a lot harder, even with IP, even with utility patent, even with, you know, um, any of the different utilities you can use to protect your product, it's just a lot harder in 2020 because there's so many ways to increase your anonymity online now. We had a guy last week, we announced two weeks ago our deal with the Sway House. It's a huge deal for us um, joining forces with the Sway House for Silly Bands. Within a week of that announcement, there were other big influencers that had mock Silly Bands websites, funnel pages, tied to accounts that they own, but we don't know who is behind the account. And they were just doing tons of marketing, sending traffic to, to their fake Silly Bands accounts. They used our copy, they used our, all of our images, they used everything. And it's a lot harder to fight now because for the same rules, all those tools are out there, making entrepreneurship easier to get started. It's also easy, it's harder to shut people down because in 2010, there wasn't the proliferation of tens of thousands of young people in the product business trying to make a buck. It just didn't exist back then. Now, because of TikTok and Instagram, Vine a little bit, Twitter, the entrepreneurship percentage in youth is so much higher than it used to be, which is a great thing and I love it, but it also means there's a lot more shady stuff going on in the markets. So it's harder to protect yourself now than it ever has been. Super interesting. And that makes, makes a ton of sense. So mm -hmm. one thing that about the story that I don't know if it is, I don't know if it's something that gets asked to you a lot, but from an entrepreneur standpoint, um, you're in a product business and it's a trend, it's a bracelet, it's going, you know, nuclear when you're, when you're in the process of, you know, this, this whole thing and you start getting on year one and year two and year three, what is, what is the thought process like on your end? Because you're at one, on one end of the spectrum, you're making just incredible money. Everything's going good, but are you worried about when the song is over? Do you, do you stop dancing? And are you worried about, you know, what's the next product or what, what's my next move? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, sure. Every entrepreneur, would love nothing more than to build a sustainable product that lasts for 20 or 30 years. Um, and that's always the slippery slope. Of course, it's harder when you have a trending product to time when the exit is and when to start, you know, taking all your profits and putting them elsewhere because the inevitable death of that product is gonna happen. It's happened to all of us. It happened to Crocs, it happens to Silly Bands. It happens to every hot product. Um, at the end of the day, you can't get too mad because if you make 20, 30, 50 million, $100 million in profit, you know, some companies and a lot of companies that are building a small business to mid-sized business might take 50 years to make 100 million and you made it in two. So the goal is, is to always build a sustainable company with sustainable product lines, but that's not always feasible, especially in this insatiable appetite that we have with young entrepreneurs and consumerism through TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram ads. So it's also conversely smart 
to jump on trends, do it better, and be able to really capitalize it, knowing that it might only last six months to a year or maybe two years, because you can get in and get out. And as long as you time your inventory well, it's still highly profitable. So there are two sides of the coin. Of course, I'd like to have a company that does $100 million a year selling five products. And all I have to do is, you know, be on a beach somewhere, drinking Mai Tais and Coronas and having fun with my girl. But unfortunately, it's not that simple. And that's why such a high percentage of companies come and go so quickly, because consumer spending and consumer habits change so rapidly. I mean, we all remember how quickly fidget spinners came and went. You know, and so that happens on a yearly, bi-yearly basis. And so you just have to prepare for it. Any smart entrepreneur that has a big hit, the minute that money's piling up, they're going to diversify. And so they're going to get money into other startups and real estate, maybe restaurants, um, other ways to mitigate risk and spread their risk out among four or five different revenue streams and business types, rather than just running a business into the ground and being broke with it. You want to make sure that as the money's starting to grow, you're diversifying quickly. So circling back to the very beginning, you said that you were taking your series seven. You've obviously, you know, been in the entrepreneur lifestyle and life cycle. So you know that when you're making money, you need to invest. Um, When we first chatted, you (laughs) shared a just crazy story with me about investing. And so uh, you know, you're into crypto and, you know, you might have a, this story actually might be a little bit crazier than the silly band story. So you mind sharing, uh, you know, with us, your cryptocurrency journey? Yeah, I finally um, kind of went public with it, that it was me <laughs> because in all of the old crypto conferences back in like 2017, 16 and 15, a lot of the people that are big in crypto used to tell this story and didn't know it was actually me. Um, So I came public with this story recently and I told you, but yeah, I don't mind repeating it. So back in 2011, um, I had a very, 2010 and 11, I don't remember the exact date, but I had a very intelligent um, college kid that I met through poker and I ended up moving him actually from Maryland. He was splitting his time between Maryland at school and Vegas playing poker. And he was so incredibly intelligent. I asked him if he'd come work for me and just figure out where to put my money and help me with projects. And he said, sure. So he came on board. We were working on various bot programs and different things that we had in the works. And he came to me with a project. It was a two page document. And he said, I've got the next project. It's gonna be big. You're gonna need a lot of patience with it, but it's gonna be great. Will you hear me out? I said, sure. So we meet later on that day. He pitches me the product and he says, I wanna open a Bitcoin exchange. Here's what it's going to cost you. It's going to be roughly $15,000 up front. 5,000 of it's going to be to develop the exchange, get the insurance, do the website, pay some programming. And he goes, the other 10,000 is going to be used to um, populate the site. So we have enough inventory to be able to let people buy and sell on this exchange. And at that point, one Bitcoin was six cents. And with that $10,000, it would have bought me for the exchange, 166,666 Bitcoin. So I told him, yes, let's do it. I went to my accountant, didn't know what it was, went to my lawyer locally in Ohio, did never heard of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, hired a lawyer in Vegas that dealt in Wall Street mostly. They said, we've heard of crypto, 
We're well, really well versed in it. It's black market. It's never going to be legal, yada, yada, yada. So then I flew to New York, met with a big law firm that was highly involved in Wall Street, stock market, everything else, and talked to them about it. They were very well versed. And they said, the only way you can do this is you put it in an LLC, in an offshore company, because it's going to be illegal and you're going to end up going to jail. So long story short, I didn't do the project. So I passed on doing the project. We, I shut it down and said, let's not move forward. And then I ended up not buying my first Bitcoin until it was $10, I think in 70 cents. So a lot of people have told this kind of folklore story about the guy that would have had the first Bitcoin exchange um, early on, the first public exchange. And that guy was me. So I always, now that I've told that story, I always kind of put it in my speaking engagements that you truly are in entrepreneurship one decision away from a totally different life. I know it sounds hokey. I know it sounds cheesy, but I've had two opportunities in my lifetime where I could have potentially been a billionaire in both times. It, one time was the Bitcoin story and another time it was a, a, some series of bad, bad luck with investors and the partners involved. And now my idea was taken by another company and they're right now raising $250 million on a billion dollar valuation with a shittier version than what I created three years before that. Wow. So you have to learn to not give up, but also that it really as hokey as it sounds. You are sometimes one decision away from a completely different life. And I've done well in my career, but not billion dollar wealth well. And so it's just an important thing to take away from this conversation that you can't give up, you have to learn from your mistakes and you really do have to just go with your gut. You know, Nike said it best, it'll never, there'll never be a better short statement than just do it. If your gut tells you something is right, fucking do it. Don't listen right. to your parents, don't listen to your uncle that's a broker for Merrill Lynch that doesn't know shit that buys off of a buy list. Don't listen to anyone because if you can afford to take the risk and you have the bandwidth to do it, do it because it's better to be wrong from trying than be wrong because you listen to others and you left it all on the table. That's just an important takeaway of all of this. Absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, you, you, you have some skin in the game now with investing. You've since, since missing out on that you know, early crypto train. Sounds like you got in at still a great price at $10.47. Talk to me a little bit about crypto, the stock market, and your kind of take on what's, what's going on right now and in the, in the shift that's happening in investing in the market? Wow. How many hours do we have? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So yes, I was fortunate that I still got in early on Bitcoin. I think my dollar cost average on Bitcoin as of a year ago was $42 a Bitcoin um, for what my holdings are. And for Ethereum, I ended up selling a lot of Ethereum, but I think my dollar cost average on Ethereum is around $30. Um, I, haven't, I haven't calculated it because I'm not a day trader of crypto. I'm a buy and hold kind of guy. Mm. Um, I do get in and out a little bit, but not much because contrary to most of the guys in the market, you can't time the market. Everyone thinks they can and all the experts tell you that they can, but you really can't, um, in my opinion anyway. So for me, I hold seven or eight coins and then I just dollar cost average and accumulate it over time. So I'm buying the dips and holding. 
Um, and I think that the Bitcoin crypto NFT market is still very early on. And it's funny seeing all these memes out there because I have so many guys that I said, buy Bitcoin at 100. Then when it got to 1,000, I'd say buy it at 1,000, buy it at 3,000, buy it at 5,000. And I don't think a single friend of mine listened. I don't think any of them did. And these guys are guys that have, you know, a five to 25, $50 million net worth. And if they put $20,000 $20, in Bitcoin five years ago, they'd have a massive fortune, but they were worried about losing their $20,000. And that's why they trust a broker that makes them 7% 7, 7 a year. Um, so for me, I think crypto, although it's gonna have a lot of corrections in and out, we're in a correction, you know, yesterday, I think that's just par for the course because as we all know, the only thing causing crypto to have crashes, although short-term crashes, I don't believe they're long-term corrections, is the news and so many newbies that are buying in that end up trying to time it based on the news. And it's a huge mistake because let's face it, two years ago, Jamie Dimon went on national television and said, Bitcoin's a scam. He got the market to crash, so their European side of their firm could buy it all up cheaper. And then now he's saying that Bitcoin is great. Mark Cuban says, Bitcoin is great. I'm investing all this money, but he didn't do that until he got everyone pointed in the direction of Dogecoin. So everyone was taking their money out of Bitcoin to load up on Dogecoin to the moon. Soon as everyone was looking at Dogecoin, Cuban swept in with Tesla's money and bought up a lot of Bitcoin. People have to learn to stop chasing the news because unfortunately none of us have the inside track or the news like these people do. So if we think we're going to beat them, we're not. So we have to learn to not fall for the traps of the news cycle to get people to get scared, sell off after they bought high, and then it dips, you know, 20, 30, 40%. And then they try to time it when to get back in. It just won't work. Right. So my take on the market is, the Bitcoin crypto stratosphere, in my opinion, is much more stable right now than the stock market. The stock market is at euphoric rates and numbers right now. And if you're trading in the stock market with part of your portfolio in stocks that you're day trading or swing trading, and part of your portfolio is in index funds where the smartest people in the world are running them, then I agree with it because you're mitigating your risk. If you have $20,000 to work with and you're putting it all in trying to time a game stock or um, Cardano or Dogecoin or something right. like that, that's not investing, that's gambling and that's gonna end badly for most people. So for me, it's about unilaterally diversifying across platforms and with people that I trust that know what they're doing. And so it's a, like right now it's a bull market. So we both know everyone's a freaking expert in a bull market. Right. I mean, as soon as we get in a bear market, 80% of those guys we see on TikTok and Instagram right now are going to disappear and they'll have a new handle pop up under whatever the new hot thing is that they're supposedly an expert in. Right. Because they didn't know how to withstand the corrections of the market. And so for me, I don't day trade. I did 15 years ago. I don't do it. I swing trade and I hold in both crypto and in the stock market. That's, that's what I do. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, I, th I think that's the best way to, to, to handle it and look at it too, because at the end of the day, I was just having this conversation with our community today, you know, the market's correcting 
between last Wednesday and today, um, the market's been going down. A lot of the small caps are going down. A lot of the stocks that we were swing trading and looking at are going down. Um, and you know, it's it, what I said. What I, what I said during the GameStop, um, you know, the whole AMC, f- f- you know, crazy fiasco. It's great that you know. It's great that the little guy was winning the fight for once. But at the end of the day, when you know, mom and dad and buddy from college and Joe Blow from down the block is calling you, you know, texting you asking about if you got into GameStop or AMC. That's a red fucking flag right it's there. I mean, when the, when the waitress is talking to you about Dogecoin and cryptocurrency, right. sell because it's too late. Yeah. And, that, and that's one of the things, one of the biggest things that bothers me and people need to learn. And I think a lot of people are going to learn the hard way, which is good because it's still a great lesson is one of the worst things that has happened to the investor market for youth. I'm so happy that a higher percentage of youth are getting involved in investing your community is a great, great place for that. I, it's tremendous. That's why I reached out to you um, to talk to you further. You're doing a great job and people are lucky to have you. But one of the biggest killers of all of this is people that are so worried about to the moon. If I hear that one more, <laughs> people don't realize that, you know, the average hedge fund, whatever you want to call it, big firms that are out there, they're happy making their clients eight to 10% a year. And if you can make using tools like what you provide, let's say you can make a 20% return a year, even maybe a 30% return a year, people should be high-fiving their monitor and sleeping well. But unfortunately, we've created this market of everyone believing they should have these thousand percent returns or else it's not a good return. And they just haven't learned that that's just not realistic and sustainable. Now, I'm all for seeing a trend happen on TikTok. You know, when everyone the first two days, I saw all these people talking about Riot. I knew about Riot. I knew about Mara. I wasn't going to buy them because I didn't think they were mature enough to buy. But there was so much hype on on, um, TikTok that I went ahead and dumped a bunch of money into Mara and Riot. And I think I bought Riot at $14, which wasn't early, but it was early enough because whatever it's at now, $60, I made, a, I made a killing. And so that's okay for me if you see a trend you want to jump on, but not if it's a trend that you're going to try and time in a 24-hour period because it's just a straight pump and dump. And I think right. that's one of the things most people don't realize is what a pump and dump really is. And the fact that if they're the guy that's the 10,000th guy to be knowing about this pump and dump, guess what? You're going to be the one holding the bag. And that's just not a good recipe for investing. Right. Yeah. I think one of the points I was, I was kind of just trying to make with, and I I always try and make this point with trading and investing is it's like you said, it's, you can't time the market. And that's what everybody tries to do. The questions that people ask always are, Hey, when is this going to go up? When is this going to go down? Timing the market, or I mean, excuse me, time in the market is way way better and you know more efficient than trying to time the market. Fidelity came out with an article saying that the best investors are dead. Right? Yeah. Like think about it. The best investors are dead. What does that mean? That means that they audited all the accounts and the best investors were either inactive or dead. People that switched jobs, forgot about their old 401k and have done nothing. So for all of the people, you know, the, the statistics show 90% of day traders lose money. 
it's yeah. the facts. I do this for a living, but I share this fact all the time because trading and day trading and scalping and all that shit, it's fun. And a lot of people get into it because they're young and because they're gambling and not taking it serious and yeah. to the moon and all this bullshit. But at the end of the day, investing is where you make your money investing and holding something long-term and building conviction and truly believing in a company. For example, you and I are both into crypto. Uh, we know we're both uh, you know, into companies that are adopting crypto. For Square um, and Tesla to invest in Bitcoin, there are already companies that are shaping the future. Yep. That is conviction for me to buy, buy the dips and go long and check back in two or three years under my pillow. When I've had Square and PayPal and Tesla for years. And, and let's, let's talk about one point. And I think that he's far out of his realm now, but one, but one of his main early points is very effective still. And when Warren Buffett was asked years ago, why don't more people follow your investing style? And he said, because no one wants to get rich slow. And mm. that's one of the biggest problems. And that's why I tell everyone, if someone says, they have 50,000 or $50 million. I tell them, take 70% of it, put it in safe investments, forget about it, don't look at it every day. Take 20% of it and put it into high flyers that you believe in and companies and technologies that are emerging in the future that you believe in and put the last 10% in, in crypto, buy companies that have proven track records that you believe are gonna scale and, and forget about it. And the problem is no one listens to that. No. And, and I'm guilty of it too. People see a dip and they go, oh shit, I better sell before <laughs> it keeps going down. And that's one of the other things that a lot of the gurus don't tell people and they don't realize every time you sell that, that stock, it's a, it's a taxable event. Right. And they're not even taking into consideration. And this is something you could touch on because you know more about it than me is every time you touch on it, the difference between paying 10% if it's been held over a year or 30%. That's 20% right there that you're giving up by selling and worrying about a, a minor dip. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's a very true point. Um, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. It's just the, it, the world that we live in now, has, it's for the better and for the worse, encouraged a lot of people to get into investing. And what I share, the message that I shared today is that I don't think that a lot of people are investing. And let's, let's call a spade a spade. Let's not bullshit each other. A lot of people see the hype and I'm guilty of marketing and sell and, you know, and selling the hype because at the end of the day, I run a business and I want people to join my business. But once they get here, I want to share and explain the truth of trading and investing. You know, a lot, it's, it's easy to sell the, it's easy to sell the hype, but at the end of the day, like we're talking about this long-term investing, even from tax, from a tax point of view, I mean, the difference is 20, 30% um, on your taxes. So uh, yeah, really just, you know, having that, that diversified portfolio and not, and I think that people get lost in diversified, right? So diversified doesn't mean that you have to own an oil stock and that you have, you have, you have to own Exxon Mobil and you have nope. to own, you know, this, the stock that's older than, you know, been around since 1917 and Macy's and own some JC pennies. You could be diversified strictly in growth stocks or strictly in value stocks or diversified strictly in cryptos. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, dis distinctively, um, you know, up, up to the, up to the person. So, Hey, I wanted to jump into, uh, back to the entrepreneur side of things. So we have a lot of young people, 16, 17, 18, um, you know, a lot of people have no money, uh, but they have the drive that they want to start a business. They don't know what 
They don't know when, they don't know how. Can you tell us some actionable steps that you would take to get ahead of the game, knowing what you know now? Well, if I had no money right now, I would do exactly what I did 35 years ago. And that is I would go work and find the jobs that I could work as many hours as I could for someone else. Doesn't have to be a job you give a shit about. It doesn't have to be a job you care about. I would shovel shit if it paid more than working in a restaurant, if I thought it would get me to my end goal of working for myself faster. Mm. You know, I know a lot of these high flying entrepreneurs go out there and say, quit your job tomorrow, go be work for yourself. But unfortunately, that's not realistic unless you have some residual income or passive income streams or you're a rich kid. Because at the end of the day, you have to eat, you have to have vehicle, you have to have a phone and internet, and you have to be able to you know, have some semblance of a life. So for me, it's all about, I did a, I did a TikTok post earlier today, whether you have $50,000 or $50, you need to get that money working for you and have the habits of investing first and buying consumer goods second. But mm. for me, if I were starting out, I would work as many jobs as I could. If that means three part-time jobs, four part-time jobs, whatever it takes, nights and weekends to get enough money saved up so I could start my side hustle. Then once your bills are paid and you can start a side hustle, then give up the job that's the shittiest of the three, use that four or six hours a day, do the side hustle. I don't care if it's flipping at estate sales and garage sales. I don't care if it's flipping or retail arbitrage, which that's a very hard to sustain deal, but flip something, buy and sell something that you can do with a couple hundred bucks and repeat that process over and over. And then as soon as you get that going and that's sustaining, then you can take on another side hustle and get rid of another job and just keep eliminating the jobs till you get to a point where you can build the business based on your, whatever makes you wanna get up out of bed in the morning whether it's video games or if it's surfing or if it's dog walking, whatever it is that gets you out of bed that you're passionate about in the morning, you wanna work towards getting to that end goal to be able to do that as quick as you can while still being able to function as a human being. A lot of these experts tell people, quit your job, it's a dead end, it's stupid, but it's not because they're not looking at it from the standpoint, you shouldn't be laying there you know, in someone's garage, cold on a air mattress with no food, just so you can start your, your business. You need to have a little bit of a base first so you can eat and function because you're not gonna function well if you're starving or, or tired or whatever anyway. And then just rid yourself of those bullshit jobs as soon as you can, so you can work on your main focus. And then also prepare yourself that more than likely you're gonna fail more than you win so you're still going to need those other tried and true side hustles to be able to pay your bills because the person that started the trend that the average rich person has seven revenue streams is absolutely correct. If you only have one revenue stream or two, you're fucked because you have to have diversification enough that if you're in the oil business and oil goes to zero like it does did last year, you can still feed your family because your other five or six revenue streams aren't in the oil business so you can still function. So that's my philosophy of starting over. Get the money from wherever you have to 
and then little by little get rid of those jobs while you start your side hustles and build on your side hustles. And as they grow, get rid of the other jobs so you can focus on your dream. Man, I could, I don't know about you guys, but I could feel, I could just feel the passion there, man. And, it, and I can hear it in you. You're a true entrepreneur and that's, and that's how it is. There's a, there's a guy that I keep up with named nine to five millionaire. And he actually wrote a book called don't quit your day job. Don't quit your day job because he's saying the same thing you're saying. Uh, you know, everybody, all these gurus and all these, you know, people that are selling, that are 22 years old, trying to tell you how to uh, yeah. retire, how to retire early, even though they're, you know, 22. It's because they fucking failed. Right. They had a drop shipping store that worked for six months. Then it got oversaturated. They couldn't make money anymore because the Facebook ads were too expensive. What <laughs> was too, uh, cost per acquisition CPA was too expensive. Right. So then they put out a course for the because they're like, well, I know how to do this. And this model's dried up. So I'll sell this course to unbeknowing youth. And that's how they make their money selling their course. Right. Yeah. Get one, and of those guys, get one of those guys in a room and ask them to do a live demonstration of their store and their profit. <laughs> and they'll never do it because right. they can't do it because 95% of them are full of shit. Now, there are some guys that are killing it out there that have the formula and have the ability to do that. But 75% of those people aren't making money and that's why they are selling a course. Yeah, and that's, and that's the fact. And look, the fact of the matter is guys, everybody um, is not an entrepreneur. So if you're listening to this and this is not making sense to you, you don't have the drive to become an entrepreneur, just take some of the lessons that we're talking about and write them down and learn from them because there is something you can learn in this. Uh, and I think that that's where a lot of people get discouraged is they think that, oh, you know, we're, we're talking about entrepreneurship and starting businesses that they have to go out and do that. It's not for everybody. If it was for everybody, then there'd be nobody to fucking serve dishes at a restaurant, nobody to do all of the other jobs, uh, you know, that are out there. And some of them are high paying sales. I mean, it's not just like you can make a million dollars only from being an entrepreneur, but at the end of the day, some of us are here that really do love the idea of working for ourselves. And if you want to work for yourself and you truly, truly have the grind and the hustle to do that, then you need to make the sacrifices that you don't, that, that other people don't want to make. And if that means working a night shift, uh, you know, go ahead, Robert. Yeah. I was going to say 100% people have to listen to this point because if you think that entrepreneurship is all rainbows and unicorns, then you're, you're, you're drinking the Kool-Aid that you're seeing on TikTok and Instagram by all these guys that are, that are dishing it out to you. Because at the end of the day, yes, entrepreneurship is amazing. I wouldn't do it any other way. I love owning my own time and the freedom that if I want to go for a run in the middle of the daytime, if I want to take a nap, if I want to go swimming, no matter what I want to do, I own that time. And I've owned my time for over 30 years. And that is luxury in itself. But to believe that entrepreneurship is you have an idea, you buy a course, and the next thing you know, you're piling up the money because you see a guy selling a course with a Lamborghini and he's got a big watch on, it's bullshit. It, it just really is bullshit. And there's a few entrepreneurs out there that really do call it out. Andrew Frazella is one of them. I love how he just puts it out there and tells people that if you're not willing to do the fucking work and starve, then you're not going to make it. Mm -hmm. um, so as long as people understand going into it, it's a give and take. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I strongly suggest you doing it as well, but just be ready for the, the ups and downs because it's not going to just be all ups. It's, it just isn't that way. Right. So 
Can you talk about what owning your time looks like to you? What, is it, what does that mean, owning your time? To me, owning my time means that with me controlling my destiny and my finances, you know, they say, if you make money in your sleep, you have true freedom. And that's the truth. Um, but it's also, even if you own your own business, a lot of times people buy a job. And if you buy a job, and that means you're going to go open a business and it's not a business that's scalable and you're going to have to work at 60 hours a week to make money, then you don't have freedom. Even though you work for yourself, you don't have freedom because you just bought yourself a job. Mm. So that's why diversification is important because you don't want to open a company, make $300,000 a year, which by the way, you can get very wealthy making $300,000 a year, but you don't want to run that company for 30 years and not have been able to own your time to where you can come and go as you please, travel when you want and do whatever you want. So for me, owning my time is having enough revenue streams and people around me that I can come and go as I please, set my own schedule and not have to be tied to any brick and mortar building or business or office to where I don't have freedom. And to me, that's just very, very important because you know you see the memes every day about the guy when you're young you have the time but no money when you're middle aged you have the money but no time and when you're old you have all the time and but you don't have your health so it doesn't mm. matter you need to flip that around and find a way to be able to live the lifestyle you want earlier on in life while owning your time and that's just the most important thing about handling and treating your freedom with utmost important. That's why I'm always preaching. People think that to start investing, you have to have $10,000 or it's not worth doing. That's a terribly flawed mindset. If you have $50 a month that you can put into an account, follow this account and listen to what they're doing and learn. And instead of messing around watching a movie or going to a bar three hours a night, learn the stock business, learn the crypto business, you can still put away a lot of money with compound interest and earnings from those stocks and cryptos with $50 a month. So I always just tell people, start investing early and start investing often because people, when they get a hundred bucks, they're more concerned with where are we partying with this hundred bucks rather than taking 50 of it off, putting it into an investment and saying, where are we partying on this $50? Um, so it's just important that you put it away because even Gary V to me, it's bullshit. He tells yeah. people, oh, I grinded in my dad's basement for eight years. I didn't go out. I didn't have any fun. I never did anything. I ate ramen every day so I could save all my money. Yet every flashback picture he shows is him and his boys partying. Right. So it's bullshit. You have to still live while working towards your future goals, but you gotta be able to think about saving money and investing money early rather than just worrying about, you know, like me, I have a two-year-old model of an iPhone. I can afford all the iPhones in the world, but if it doesn't mean that I'm going to make more money off of my iPhone, why buy a new one every time it comes out? Right. Doesn't I don't and need the latest Jordans every time they come out. I don't need that stuff. So I would rather take that hundred or that thousand dollars and put it into a high flyer of a crypto or a new stock and turn that thousand into 10,000 in three years rather than buy a depreciating asset. So it's all just about living, but putting money away and not worrying about how much you're investing with. It's just about investing early and often. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that is, I mean, everything that Robert is saying is just facts in my book. At the end of the day, 
people try and overcomplicate investing. And that's what scares a lot of people away from investing in stocks and just anything having to do with money. People will be very, very happy living paycheck to paycheck and buying the brand new iPhone that, and they have the MacBook and they have all this other shit, but they won't invest in Apple stock. Right. Why don't you, you know, like, look, let's simple, let's, let me simplify trading or excuse me, investing for you. Do you use Amazon every day? Invest in Amazon stock. You can't buy a full share of Amazon. Go on uh, Robinhood or any of these other brokerages and buy, you know, a quarter of a share or one eighth of a share. Do you go to Costco every day? Great. Costco has been around. Their CEO, Jim Senegal you know, amazing. They've grown over 20 years. Start investing in products that you're using every day and, and simplify investing for yourself and see amazing results over time. And you don't have to start with $10,000. You don't have to start with $50,000. You can start today. And one of the key things that everyone on this particular call tonight has as a great advantage over the rest of the world and even their friends is that TikTok is one of the greatest platforms, if not the greatest learning platform on the planet that then spills over into Telegram and Clubhouse and all the other ones. But TikTok is such a feeder for information. One of the most prolific stock traders of my time early on was Peter Lynch. He said, if you wanna learn how to invest in stocks, go to the mall. Whatever store you see people walking out with the most packages, buy their stock. And that's a simplified form of what we're saying now is when you're on TikTok and you're learning from these groups is you take that information, you have to do your own research, but we just have so many tools that are accessed now to take the fear out of learning. I mean, if we know technology in the next five years are gonna be, the categories are gonna be clean energy, electric cars, 3D printing, gene editing, phage therapy, batteries, um, water purification. Those five or six categories are the future. We know that. We know electric vehicles are the future. Okay, so what does an electric vehicle need? It needs a battery. What battery companies are winning? Who's making batteries for Tesla? Who's making batteries for, you know, Neo? Mm -hmm. Find those companies and be the guy that owns the shovel instead of being the guy that's buying the consumer product, because at the end of the day, that's where the money's going. You have to think where the money's going, not where it already is. And that's easy to figure out based on just all that you can learn from TikTok and Google of where the market is going and where the smart people are putting their money. Smart people have dozens and dozens of people under them that say, okay, where are we going next for this month? Where are we putting this $5 million? I need to know where to deploy it. And they got a bunch of wizards with algorithms telling them what to do, just like you're doing in this platform. And that's what you need to be learning rather than being lazy, taking that money and going and buying consumer goods. Amazing. Hey, this has just been amazing so far. And so as we're coming to an end, I want to open this up for more of a, uh, you know, open up to questions from our community. So what we're going to do right now, guys, we're going to do a live giveaway. All right. So if you type the word legend, L-E-G-E-N-D, uh, you know, during this next, during this next question, you should be able to uh, be able to win, potentially win a membership in our community. So type in the word legend. And uh, I'm going to ask you one more question real quick since I, I messed this up. And so now everybody's spamming it. Um, <laughs> as you're, as you're, you know, you're getting older, you've been in the game for some while. 
retirement, um, what does that look like to an entrepreneur? Do you ever retire? Is this ever going to stop for you? No, because at the end of the day, for guys like me anyway, the, the, the game for me is to get enough wealth and residual income. And I have a number that I need to make a month to be able to keep the lifestyle for me and my family and, you know, future generations of my family. Um, but everything on top of that for me is solving problems that the world needs help solving. So for me, there really is no retirement. It's me working tremendously smart and hard over the next few years to get to that number. So then I can deploy that capital to fix problems. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're fortunate that a lot of billionaires today are really good about giving back and helping fix the world's problems. But unfortunately, there's not enough of them doing it. And so I want to get to a point where I can take problems that I see in society. Some are very solvable now. Some of them take a lot more resources than I have. And then taking that time where I stop working on projects for myself and only work on projects to solve problems that the world needs help with. That's the goal for me. Awesome. Yep. Yep. That's, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yep. All right, guys. Hey, so we're going to click. Uh, I'm going to roll the dice right here. And it looks like the winner of the competition is T Carol 06. You've won the giveaway. We'll be reaching out to you. Um, so no more spamming the word legend anymore, guys. Nobody's going to win anymore. We just, uh, we just did it. Hey, so I'm going to open it up to questions from the chat. So chat, if you guys have any questions for Robert, uh, feel free to answer now. I know that a couple people asked early on um, while the other questions come in. What do you think about college, right? That's the main questions a lot of 17, 18 year olds have. Can you give some thoughts on college? Yeah, I think college only makes sense if you're going to a specified field like engineering or medical because it's a requirement. If you want to be an entrepreneur and your whole end game goal is to own your own company that's not specified in a field that you need that training, then I don't think college makes sense until the government gets involved. And I think Mark Cuban said it best. He said that a college degree shouldn't be over $5,000 or over $10,000. And until the government steps in and makes colleges make that available, then I don't think college makes sense because what people don't realize is when you go to college and you get your 40 year degree and it takes you five years and it costs you a hundred grand, by the time you pay off those student loans, you've already missed seven or eight of your best year earning years because you're paying back your student loans and you're not putting that money into the economy or building a business. And so to me, unless you need it for the medical field or another field that, it, that needs a degree, none of the top people, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, none of them require it anymore. And so unless it's specified, I think you're better off learning from courses, YouTube, and anywhere else that's specified in your field of what you wanna learn Otherwise, I don't think it's necessary. Interesting. Very yeah. interesting point. Um, the sooner you can get to financial freedom, so you own your time, the better. That's it. Period. Yeah. Because a lot of people, if you think about it, people from my era, I'm in my 50s. So let's say a guy is 47 years old right now. You see it over and over again, where they spent their 20s partying. They get married in the early 30s and go, oh shit, I got to get a real job. They go get a real job. They have that for four years. They do okay. They buy the house in the suburb. They get their two-year-old BMW and their minivan. <laughs> then they lose that job. Then they go, oh shit, 
Then a buddy of theirs, they have a position in middle management and they go get that job. And so they finally start making money to where they can invest and do something meaningful with their money by the time they're say 41, 42 years old. Mm -hmm. Then they have to from 40 to 50, bust their ass and find as many ways as they can to get to a point where they can actually retire. But unfortunately, when they were 36 and 38, they already had two kids. So all of their time is absorbed in those two kids and their job. So by the time they have any time to have other forms of income, it's too late. They wake up, they're 50. They only have $86,400 in their 401k and their wife's account from her job. And that's not enough to do anything with. And so it's just a, it's a vicious cycle. Right. So the earlier you can reach financial freedom and create multiple revenue streams and be able to own your time, the better off you're going to be because there's a lot of fun shit to do out there in the world. And if you, if you do it backwards and do it wrong, you're never going to get to see that stuff. And it's okay. Not everyone wants to be wealthy. Not everyone wants to own their time. Some people are more than happy having their middle management job, making $86,000 a year, having their nice little car and their nice little house and getting hammered blackout drunk every weekend. If that's the life you want, you have freedom, go. But if you want the nicer things in life and want the freedom and the travel, you're not going to get it unless you start early and often. Man, yeah. I literally couldn't say, couldn't say it better myself. This is just, incre I mean, you're just, you're saying everything that needs to be said. And I really hope that you guys are, taking notes and learning from this because what he's saying about owning your time and you know really really what it means to own your time to work for yourself and be able to decide hey it's friday it, the weather's fucked up in dallas this weekend you want to go to miami babe like let's yeah. let's go let's go enjoy some time so hey someone, Abba, someone, go someone ahead. asked me the other day if you were 25 years old and single right now what would you do if you were starting over and I said, I would move into a, one of the most dynamic markets I could find that had warm weather all year round, had a really great beach scene, restaurant scene, but was near a lot of wealthy, smart people. And I would go get an apartment as close to the water as I could that had good amenities and a good gym. And I would grind because I would know that I could live a healthy life. I could eat good. I could network easily. And I wouldn't have to go back and forth from some small town or whatever. And I could live a really great lifestyle while building that money up rather than being like me. I stayed in Toledo, Ohio too long. I thought I was cool owning all this stuff in my town where I was a big fish in a small pond. But what you give up on that is you give up deal flow and bigger opportunities because you want to be that big fish in a small pond rather than having the quality of the lifestyle. Right. And that's just... It's just too important for people that they need to just really think about what's important. When you wake up in the morning, do you want to wake up with an alarm clock, go to a job every day, and then come home and maybe make time to go to the gym occasionally or do whatever that's fun? Or do you want to build a lifestyle, build your money around the lifestyle you want to live? Mm. And that is very greatly varies. If you're an artist and you can live on 30,000 a year, then live on 30,000 a year but live somewhere where you can have a tremendous lifestyle while doing the same art, because that is one of the things entrepreneurship provides, especially now after COVID is being able to work from home, wherever that is, as long as you have an internet connection. And that's one of the most important things. I don't see people realizing why be in the cold weather. If you love, you know, if you love skiing, then sure, stay in the snow, 
But if you love surfing, then move where you can surf so you can live the lifestyle you want to live rather than being somewhere else. Chat, chat, make sure you guys write that down. Build the money around the lifestyle that you want to live. Yep. Not everybody has to make this six and seven and eight figures a year. If you yep. like surfing and you want to live out of your van and you want to cook eggs out of your van and hang out with the pretty girls and go, you know, catch some waves and drink some beers and you can, you know, make 20, 30, $40,000 a year teaching surf. Well, guess what? You are more happy than the guy that's sitting at the desk, waking up every day, hating that he's going to work and waiting until Friday or Saturday comes so he can get fucked up and forget about the shitty you know, job that he has. Yeah, so, I hey, talk, I want to oh, go ahead. I talked about this the other day with a guy. So at the country club where I work out every morning, me and Sophia work out every morning. So you can tell the people that have the financial security, the people that are at the gym between four and five in the afternoon or four and six in the afternoon are the people that had a job all day. And then they just got off work and they're trying to sneak in that workout before they go home and then deal with wife and kids and everything else. And the guys that are in the gym at nine, 10 in the morning are the guys that have the freedom because they don't have to go to an office. They don't have to go to a job and they're in there on their own time, getting it done in the morning before they have to go anywhere else. And then you see a lot of people, especially the younger entrepreneurs, they'll be in the gym at six in the morning to be done by 7.30 so they can go to their job and have the health that they're looking for and then get off that job and go do their side hustle. That's real, that's some real sick shit because they're really playing for that end game rather than, you know, being stuck in the rat race. Yep. Hey, so Abba asks, I opened a physical retail store and I invested all of my money into it. And now I'm living broke. I don't have much money to reinvest in the business. I'm thinking of getting a part-time job and switching days back and forth with my partner. Any opinions or suggestions? I think it's a great idea to get a part-time job. I also think it's a great idea, depending on when you sign the lease, to go back to the, um, the landlord and try to renegotiate the lease and say, look, it's not working out. You know, your rent should be, let's call it eight to 10% of sales. And let's say right now, because you don't have the volume you need, your rent is at 23% of sales. You go back to them and say, hey, can you knock my rent down to give me a, you know, a fighting chance at, at making it in this business? We've gone through a really tough year, everyone's struggling can you knock 13% off of my rent every month so I can see this through, get the part-time job to be able to sustain what you need and don't give up on it yet because it is a terrible time for small businesses in retail. Um, so I think that would be the play that I would do for sure. Great. Hey, sorry, we, we don't want to take too much more of your time, but uh, maybe one or two more questions for you. Sure. So Thompson1216 asks, should you start scaling your business from, from the start or focus on small growth until an opportunity presents itself for growing your company and taking the next step? He's already got it figured out. Exactly that. Grow it small, control the processes, control the inventory, because if you grow it too fast and you don't have the funding, you're going to end up in a bad position because you're going to need to go borrow hard money or factoring money to be able to scale the business if it's product related or service related where you need machinery. So then you put yourself in harm's way because then all of a sudden you have all these loans and all these other people in your pocket. So I think growing it small, especially if it's not a trending product or service, growing it small and scaling the processes so you can control the narrative and you don't have to give up control of the money. Mm. David Teliav asks, what are the best side hustles that you see right now for teenagers? Wow, that's a tough one. I don't know that I'm 
perfectly qualified for that because a lot of them sound so good. And I do some of them on my own because I love it. I flip luxury vintage watches because I love them and it gets me deal flow to be able to work on my own collection. Um, but there's just so many side hustles out there. I don't really know the top three that are scalable. I see tons of people talking about retail arbitrage. I know it works. Um, we have people in our staff that do it for me. I know that Amazon reselling of books works if you're in an area where there's a lot of, um, a lot of flow for getting the used books, whether it be you know, estate sales. I love estatesales.net if you are a flipper and you're, you're not aware of it. Mostly old people go to estatesales.net and they don't know the flip game. So if you're younger and you're not hip to estatesales.net, check it out. Um, so I like flipping books because you can buy, you know, medical textbooks and other types of textbooks for a dollar and sell them for 40 or $50. Mm -hmm. But that's not sustainable always for everyday income. So to me, side hustles are better if you're young to be service-based, pressure washing, um, other service-based things where you don't need a lot of money to get into it, handyman work, um, landscaping work. You literally can run ads on Facebook in your neighborhood, in your area that you'll go do landscaping, cleanup work, general maintenance, where you can charge $25, $22 an hour and it's cash a lot of times. That's a great side hustle because you can get endless work because everyone's always looking for helpers. So there's a lot of them out there. So I wouldn't know what the best one is unless we really dug into it and I knew the area and what you were trying to accomplish. I think that you, I think that you may have not thought that you were saying the best ones, but you said it. I mean, really, at the end of the day, flipping of any sorts is, is the number one way that you can start with very little and work your way up no matter what. I mean, I've even seen videos of people starting with $1 and flipping it all the way till they got a Tesla. So if you have the drive and the intention and, and can build the knowledge, uh, you can flip. And then also, like you said, working, you know, man, like literally a, a service, a manual labor using your, you know, if you're young and you can't afford a lawnmower, your neighbor has one, your dad has one, you know, weed eater, it's up to you. How bad do you want it? I had a, comp I had a company for, 18 years that I closed right after COVID because I'm downsizing in Ohio. And it was the easiest formula ever. We did light handyman work, cleanup and demo work for bigger construction companies. And I had, when we closed in March or April of 2020, I had nine guys at the time, nine full-time guys that I paid anywhere from 15 to $20 an hour and I build them at $30 an hour. So for all of those guys, I would make anywhere from 10 to $14 an hour per guy, 40 hours a week per guy. And the money really does start to pile up and it's no skilled labor. It's all just grunt work where I get the deal flow. I manage the money and they go do the work. And so that's one of the easiest forms to do this. And at the end of the day with flipping, no matter what it is, it really all comes down to ROI. If your return on investment is there, it doesn't matter what it is. It really doesn't. And that's the main key. You see a lot of people say, well, I bought this item for $5 and I sold it on Amazon for $15. And they think they're making money, but they're just trading money because there's not enough margin. If it cost them five, they had to drive and pick it up, drive back home. They had to package it up. They had to research it. They had to buy a box. They had to ship it off, wait a month for it to sell you're really not making money. It's better to not trade money and find ways you have an immediate impact 
where you're buying something for $5, you're selling for $25, and you don't have all the labor and cost in between. And it's just all about ROI, return on investment. Great. Hey, last question here for you. Um, some of the most important skills that you would say um, you would need to have in a field such as yours, what are those? Tenacity, um, the ability to know your weaknesses and hire people that can help you in those weak, weak areas because you can't be good at everything. You want to think you're good at everything. I know that I'm not great at being organized with documents and notes. So I am old school. I keep a notebook of everything I'm working on, even though I use all the latest technology and all the latest things for my staff. Now, conversely, Sophia, my soon-to-be fiance, she is incredibly organized with documentation, spreadsheets, and all that stuff. That's her strength. I don't need to be spread thin trying to be a jack of all trades. I just need to be good at what I'm good at. So for me, for entrepreneurs, tenacity, learning to hire for your weaknesses, and actually being smart enough to see your way through the landscape of whatever you're trying to do. Because everyone thinks they have what it takes to be an entrepreneur, but most really don't. And not all people really are as smart as they think they are. So at the end of the day, I've seen some pretty non-intelligent people still make it and hit it big. Um, because when you're young and you're not thinking through everything, sometimes dumb luck, luck goes your way because you just plow through something and go, I'm going to do this. I don't care if it's right or wrong. And it works. I used to be that guy. I never listened to anyone. Then when I got big, 2010, I listened to my handlers and my management and I didn't do the Bitcoin exchange. What an idiot. I should have done it because I wanted to do it. I, it was my money. I should have just said, screw it. I'll take my chances. So I think part of it is, is just really following your gut and then having the skill sets. You can learn skill sets. If you want to get into trading, there's so much out there to learn, but maybe you're not good with math and numbers and you're more artistic. If you're more artistic and less about numbers, then maybe trading isn't for you and you should be into more of a creative field where maybe you start an agency where you're doing social media you know, marketing for companies or whatever. So I think it's just all of going with the flow of what you're good at and what your base skill set is good at and then working within that frame framework to build yourself up. Awesome. Wow. I wish that we actually had some more time to get into some of your poker stories uh, just because those are amazing. And I know we have a lot of people that like yeah, to we, gamble, we obviously. Long, long story <laughs> poker stories for sure. Right. But hey, I want to say a, a huge thank you to you, Robert. This has been one of the best sessions we've ever had. And we started back with a bang. I didn't know it was going to be this much of a bang, but really guys, um, some key points that I want you guys to take away from this is that what, like Robert said, entrepreneurship isn't for everybody, but if you love working, the idea of working for yourself and you want to enjoy your life and spend, spend, be able to make, you know, last minute trips and hang out with um, your wife or your husband and, and free time with the kids and build a business around things that you love, then you can do it. It just matters how much work and how much hustle and determination you have that you want to give to putting into um, this effort. Uh, you, you know, your one decision, I think that this is one of the best things that we, we took away from this talk was that your one decision away from changing your life, really. Yeah, and I want to add one more closing remark. 
in life and in business, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate for. So just remember that. Let's end it on that note, guys. Thank you so much, Robert. Thanks for stopping by. And thank you guys, everybody who comes and enjoys this time with us. Uh, We appreciate it. We'll see you guys back next week, hopefully. And uh, take care. We'll talk to you guys soon. Wise guys out.